We've probably all heard about at least one religious cult story and the ramifications it has on a community or its members. It's where we got the saying, don't drink the Kool-Aid, which was a former episode, number 84, for us here on the Jonestown Massacre on Nightmares. But one of the craziest cases is that of a Lori Vallow and a Chad Daybell, a religious author and cult leader breaking away from the Mormon religion. It's another example of a religious cult ordeal that is hard to even grasp, starting back in 2019 and continuing in court even today. This is a, a trail of intrigue and murder. and This is like... And it's very, very sad. I mean, the story... It is. We're going to call it the story of Lori Vallow, but it could just as easily be the story of uh, J.J. and Tylee. Yes. That, that, that's sort of the, the tragedy of it. This is like right out of a motion picture that you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it, it's crazy. So, folks, buckle up for what I'm going to call the life journey of Lori Vallow a self-claimed Mormon who married five times, had two children, left a trail of five known deaths, and a story where she and her fifth husband, Chad Daybell, claimed to be angelic warriors thousands of years old, returned to Earth to lead the rebirth of the Mormon-type religion after the predicted end of days. By the way, that was supposed to have taken place in July of 2020. Join us tonight on that unbelievable yet true story of Lori Vallow. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So I have to admit to a certain amount of ignorance of this story. Talking to my wife this weekend, apparently she had watched the same documentary that you had. So she's like, oh, no, I've heard That's about this I girl. That's I first heard of it, actually. Because when you proposed this idea, knowing that my wife is a Mormon, you were mm-hmm. like, oh, is there going to be like a, a conflict? And I'm like, my wife doesn't care. I, I definitely don't want to ever offend anybody. I'm one of those people, hey, you do you, boo. And, oh, and no. we're absolutely not saying that the Mormons are responsible for no, what no, happened No, no, no. no th- this is, the foundations was in the LDS church, but. These people just broke away from that and kind of started about, their own religion. Yeah, when you talk about going off the rails, that's like, yeah, this, all intents and purposes. This, this, this is a, a, a love story that has gone off the rails. The story really starts with this beautiful and charismatic woman in the story, Lori. Lori Marine Cox, born June 26, 1973 in San Bernardino, California. Now, she was born to a Barry and Janice Cox. Lori had two older brothers, an Alex and Adam, who both play pretty significant parts so, in this. Alex is very active in the story. Very active. And she also had three other sisters, a Stacy, a Laura, and a Summer. So in 1992, at the young age of 19, she married her high school sweetheart, first husband, Nelson Yanes. However, the honeymoon would not last yeah, long. Say that one didn't last long. Just a year later, couple filed for divorce. Now, uh, two years later, in 1995, she would again remarry a man by the name of William Nagoya, I believe is the way you pronounce it. Of course, her second husband. Yeah. 
Uh, together, uh, the two would have a son named Colby Ryan, who also plays a major role in the story. He was born in 1996. Now, things went pretty well for the second marriage until about three years in, when again, Lori would divorce William. It seems to be a pattern for Lori. She she marries him and she moves on. Two to three years. Which, it's like, uh, things are getting boring. And, and, and knowing how this story full unfolds, these guys got off lucky. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Fast forward three more years and Lori was getting married for a third time, this time to uh, Joseph Ryan in 2001. Now, on September 24th, 2002, this couple would have a child, a daughter by the name of Tylee Rain. Well, Joseph would, would actually adopt Colby, too, legally. Yes, so. yes. Now, during this time, Lori, while married to third husband, uh, Joseph Ryan, claimed that God spoke to her and that she would be a contestant for the game show, The Price is Right. Uh, now, she announced this boldly on, on the show, and The Price is Right. And just months later, she found herself once again basking in the glory of this public exposure, which she really craved and loved. And she was a contestant for Miss Texas pageant. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't take a whole lot to get on a show like The Price is Right. You submit they, your name if you're in the area, yeah. and they, it's like a drawing from what I understand. Yeah, but, you know, it sounds, and even her family said, it just sounded, this is so Lori. It sounded so much like, well, God told me, you know, I was yeah, going to be on that, The Price is Right. That's another common thread for Lori. Then, just like clockwork in 2004, Joseph and Lori would divorce. Now, any chance for a friendship between Lori and Joseph <laughs> uh, would be troublesome, to say the least. Lori had told her older, older brother, Alex, that Joseph had been abusive in their marriage. Now, as often as this pops up in the story, I wonder, does Alex believe this, or is this just their story? I think he does believe it. So he, he because of the next events that put him in jail. So anyway, yeah, like she told, she told Ryan or she told Alex that Ryan had been abusive to her and the kids. And so Alex shows up. Well, Kobe then comes forward and says he has sexually assaulted me. It was like a physical thing at first. And now we throw in the whole sexual with an underage. Yeah. So when Kobe comes forward and saying now that you got sexual assault from this husband. Okay. That wasn't, I didn't refine that. So So that kind of came out a little bit later. Now, brother Alex is reported to have attacked Joseph with a taser gun. Yeah. And even threatening his life if he ever came near the children or Lori again. He was he was arrested. He pled guilty and only served ninety days in jail. Which ninety I don't days know, in prison. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the normal charges are for. And then five assault. years of probation time. Yeah, but I mean, if he did that, I would like to think. Yeah, he he definitely believed something was going on. And, and that was my question. I always, like I said, this this pops up more than once in the story, and I wondered if it was just like them colluding. Yeah. Or if he, or if she was telling him, hey, well, there's so much going on with this story. Yeah. It is so hard to keep track. Uh, yeah. Well, let's just say that this Alex is kind of a, a wild card, to be honest. Oh, so. my goodness. Yeah. Now, so as of 2004, Lori found herself single once again after moving through three husbands over a span of 12 years and has two children, just to kind of recap. Yeah, her, her string of names gets pretty long by oh the end of this. I had to make like <laughs> notes. Now, a few years later, Lori met and married her fourth husband, an, a man by the name of Charles Vallow. Uh, now, she stays with him probably, I mean, for the longest so far. Uh, the children really love Charles. Colby says he's really my first father figure that I can relate to. Well, and he was a lifelong Catholic who converted over to the, the Church of Latter-day Saints, LDS for his wife for his new wife yeah. so he joined the the mormon church which 
you know, I, I've seen is, is fairly common. I think in married couples, I know my brother-in-law's wife, I think, converted when they got together. And, well, I mean, that's showing a commitment, you know, yeah. you know, I'm in it for the long haul. So but what's all here's to kind say of, about me? Like, I didn't convert. <laughs> but. I wasn't going to touch that one. But this will be kind of the outline of the story we share this evening. China just setting the foundation, if you will, before we tear it all down. Yeah. Valo had two sons, Nicholas and Zachary Chase, from a previous marriage, and they also adopted Valo's grandnephew, Joshua Jackson Valo, JJ, which he's important to this story, in 2013. In late 2014, they moved to, and, and this is a Hawaiian name, so Kauai? Kauai? Kauai, Hawaii. Sometime around 2015, Lori read the Standing in Holy Places series of books by author Chad Daybell, and she became obsessed with these books. And remember that name, Chad That's an important Daybell. name, yeah. In 2016, the Vallow family moved back to Arizona, and in the fall of 2018, Lori and her friend Melanie Gibb attended a Preparing a People event, and there Lori was able to meet Chad Daybell for the very first time. Now, this, by all accounts, was apparently just like a connection and a first sight, you know. According to Melanie, by the end of the weekend, Chad had told Lori that they had been married in seven previous lifetimes. Yes. And shortly after that, the two began to communicate in private. So Now, I will add in, before they moved to Kauai, Hawaii, kind of a strange thing. There's a lot of strange things to oh, this yeah. story. No. But we have Charles's two sons that you mentioned, uh, Nicholas and Zachary. And then you, of course, had Lori's uh, son, Colby, and the daughter, Tylee, the youngest one. Well, Charles was, how do I put this, a hardworking man. He traveled a lot, and he supported the family financially. This allowed Lori to be a stay-at-home mom, you know, allowed her to go out and do whatever she wanted to do, basically, to attend, you know, seminars, retreats, and, and different things. But this led to kind of some odd and awkward situations that some of the neighbors later came forward, Lori would actually, on the weekends especially, leave and go hang out with her girlfriends and, you know, party or whatever. Yeah. But that would, you know, Charles's sons often would come home to visit, which would leave his two sons, as well as Colby and the young daughter, Tylee, in the home alone for many days and many nights. That's, I don't know, to me, that just kind of seems a little creepy. Well, I, I mean, again, good parenting. Yeah, you, you got a very young daughter yeah. you've got in here with, I mean, three boys, too, that's from another marriage. But again, Lori got the call from God, she says, to move to Hawaii. And that's where they were going to go. And I think they started like a, a, ju a juice bar or something on one of the islands, which did not do well <laughs> financially whatsoever. And as you said, you know, they came back to Arizona. Now, here we have... When, once they return back, she claims that she has been spoken to by the word she uses as a sister angel. And again, I'm not that familiar with the LDS well, the, well, the, church. The or, Mormon, the, the use of the word brother or sister is very common. Okay. So, you know, if if you were a member of the church and I was going to talk about you with someone else, I'd say, well, well, brother Tudor, you okay. know, you, I'd be brother Weirs, you know, that okay. kind of thing. But again, the word angel is used and that pops up a lot. And and angels, based on my understandings, and, and I'm by no means a Mormon scholar here, but I do believe angels, in at least in the Book of Mormon, appear to people quite often. Okay. Uh, with with the, the most notable, I think it's Moroni or, or something like that. Yeah, the, I remember the, seeing the that angel, name. That is the angel depicted on the top of all of the Mormon temples. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm learning a lot here. Well, it's 
Trust me, I don't know much. <laughs> now, Lori does have a very close friend all the way since high school that will follow this story all the way through. Her name is Melanie Gibb. Yeah, she she's quite a, a fixture in the story as well. She's kind of Although, a key player for three quarters of it, at least. She's on the right side as much as anybody can be. Yes. So. But, but Lori comes to Melanie and explains to her that, uh, you know, the angel came to her and told her that it was necessary for her to move to Hawaii to make connections in order for her to further her teachings and leading that she was supposed to be doing. Now, some might say you alluded to she found the book novels by Chad Daybell. So that kind yeah. of falls under that prophecy, if you will. I will say Tylee and Lori seem to have a very good time on Facebook. They shared a lot of pictures of hiking in Hawaii and all this. But while she was there in Hawaii, she also met another divorcee uh, mom, uh, a woman by the name of April Raymond, uh, who was of the LDS faith. And as I said, had kept, they'd both been through divorces, which was kind of frowned upon, obviously, by the Mormon faith. But it, they found a common bond there. Now, she goes to this new friend, April, who later comes forward and says, Lori confided a lot to me. And at this point, she even said, you know, my husband, Charles, I just don't see myself being with him. I don't see him being the, the spiritual partner that I need to fulfill what God and the angels are telling me I need to do. So the news already wearing off yet again, yeah. you know, as you said, there's kind of a, a track record here, but she comes forward with this and just says, you know, there's going to come a time when. Yeah, I'm not going to have a need for Charles. <laughs> I mean, and lo and behold, you know, April didn't realize what she was saying at the time. But as the story unfolds, you're like, whoa, okay, this, this was the first bomb that's kind of dropping. So after the Preparing a People event in 2018 that they had attended where Chad and Lori met, several weeks later, Lori's husband leaves town on a business trip. So Lori has an intimate overnight gathering at her house, and she invites uh, Melanie and Chad, and they're both there. And Gib recalls Chad just lavishing attention on Lori. It's all about Lori. It's all about Lori, which, you know, based on Made her, her little bit of history. Well, but based on Lori's history, she probably loved that. You know, she likes to be the center of attention, right? Very much. So, but he expounds upon his unusual religious belief in the deeper mysteries of God. And he states that they had lived 31 different lives on various Earth-like planets. Uh, he began to, he, he started referring to others as light and dark. Uh, there were light people and there were dark people, light souls, dark souls, dark souls. Yeah. Yeah. Awful video game, in my opinion. And, and kind of a rating system. Yeah. There's, there are various gradations in between. Chad believed that dark individuals were from this earth, but they were followers of Satan. Whereas obviously the light individuals were followers of Jesus Christ. He also referred to Lori as an eternal being of 21 separate lives and only five of which had been lived on this planet, but they were the same five that he had lived on this planet. So they were bound on a spiritual level, if you will. Uh, Lori, of course, was said to be thrilled with this and, and was instantly attracted to these new beliefs and became increasingly fixated on, on this new purpose and on Chad. So this was sort of obviously her drifting away from Charles and more towards this Chad character. Yeah, looking back, you know, hindsight, this, this, is, this is that happening, yeah. the first steps. So they would eventually appear together on the Preparing a People podcast on an episode on December 5th, 2018. At this point, the two had become obsessed with certain Mormon-influenced apocalyptic beliefs. When Lori and the family returned to Arizona, she was visited by her brother, Adam, 
uh, who actually introduced her much like Bill did me to the podcast phenomenon, <laughs> if you will. And, you know, as Bill kind of alluded to, they, they found several that were LDS, you know, Mormon related that, that struck a chord with all of them because the family of Lori and Adam and all the brothers and sisters were, were raised in a Mormon household. She also, this Melanie Gibb, her closest friend since, you know, high school ages, like Bill said, had attended the Preparing the People, uh, had met Chad Daybell. They had shared reading of some of his books. They had that kind of that, that bond. And they decided, the two women, that they would start their own podcast, which they called Feel the Fire. Uh, and it had uh, much to do uh, with the end of days, preparing for that, both physically and spiritually. And, uh, of course, Chad Daybell here again, he shows back up. As you mentioned, he was on a podcast. Well, he actually came to the women's podcast as well. I didn't realize they had, had started their own. I didn't see that. Yep. And uh, he had shared in, I didn't understand if it was on, on the ladies podcast or the first podcast, but he shared with his listeners and readers that the books that he wrote was based on his own life experiences and his, new, his two near-death experiences in particular. One, which was due to cliff diving, where he said he struck his head against some rocks. He claimed that during this event, he died. And when he came back, still floating in the water, he was able to see in the water beyond the veil, as he described. And that is when he was able to get and develop this rating system of evil and good spirits, dark and light, by simply looking at a person. Now, he claimed God sent him back from the dead and that his books were to be as meaningful and important, if not more important, than the Book of the Mormon as teaching. Now, obviously, the Book of the Mormon is the key foundation. So here we already have well the, the split separation, if you will. My understanding is you have the Bible and you have the Book of Mormon. They're, they're, they're of equal importance. But again, to elevate anything above either of those two... Yeah. Chad you're, writes this book and he's saying, yeah, you're, my you're, book's just as equal or better. Yeah. That, whoa, that's a, that's a big statement. Now, friend Melanie, of course, Melanie Gibb, had uh, been involved with the, with the podcast herself, with Lori. Now, she began to see and hear these things that Chad was stating in specific, that his books were equal or greater than the Book of Mormon. And he, she also was feeling very uncomfortable with the attention that Chad was giving Lori because Chad's married to a woman named Tammy. And of course, Lori is married to a man named Charles. So she confronts her and says, you know, Lori, I, I know you're really taken by this man's writings and, and, you know, he has a lot of good things, but I really don't like where this is all going. And Lori makes, starts making these accusations that well, Chad said that he can sense the dark spirits are entering you. And that seems to be a common goal. Anybody that argues with us, we're going to say yeah. dark spirits. Have, Everybody you know, that doesn't agree is dark. You. Yeah, yeah. So. so at some point, Chad starts staying at the Vallow home in Arizona, which, you know, if my wife decided to bring in a new dude, I'd be a little concerned about that. So, but for whatever reason, he's staying there, whatever their justification. Well, and Charles is traveling a lot. Well, so. yeah, that too. Yeah. So by February of 2019, according to Charles, Lori informs him that she no longer cares about him and JJ. Uh, she also claims that she's the reincarnated wife of LDS founder Joseph Smith. There's a bold statement. Uh, and then she apparently vanishes for like 58 days, just disappears. <laughs> now, Charles files for divorce that same month. 
and stated in his paperwork, the, the, in the filing, that Lori had threatened to murder him if he got in the way of, of her preparations for Christ's second coming in July of 2020. The end of days that I mentioned in the opening. Yep. Yeah. She claimed to be a God assigned to carry out the work of the 144000 at Christ's second coming. Also, she took $35,000 from their joint bank account and stole his truck. Well, there's that. So, obviously, as part of the, at, at the same time as he files for divorce, he also files for an order of protection against Lori, as he, he's just feared for his life at this point. Can you imagine, Charles, you know, he's the financial supporter of the entire family, uh, you know, having his own two, Lori's got two, uh, now adopting JJ. So, you know, trying to support the whole family. He's moved them to Hawaii. He's tried that. They've moved back. And he comes home after a business trip. Actually, he says he cuts the business trip short because of some of the texts, phone calls, and emails he's getting from Lori concerned not only for his own safety with with life threats, as Bill had stated, but also for the children. And at this point, it later comes out that Lori is using Chad's rating system and has labeled Charles a, a dark entity. And he is worried. So he comes home and he finds himself, I guess, locked out of his own house. I, I'm assuming she must have changed the locks. So he calls the police and he's like, I don't know if my family's in the house. I don't know where Lori's at. She's lost her mind. Yeah. She is talking about possession. She says she's some angelic warrior that's thousands of years old and she's prophesying deaths and threatening. And so the police go in and find that, yeah. Not she's wiped out the bank account, stole his truck, took everything of value in the house, and gone. I mean, you know, no signs. So at this point, I want to talk about Chad just a little bit because obviously Chad's important to the story, and he's going to become more so as we continue on. So we need a little background on this guy. I think well, it, this is mainly he's Lori's story. Quite but, a guy, and and you might help fill in some stuff here. I I don't have a whole lot, but he was born Chad Guy Daybell on August eleventh, nineteen sixty eight, in Provo, Utah, which. If you're going to be a good Mormon, you got to be from Utah. <laughs> he married Tamara Tammy Douglas in 1990, graduated from Brigham Young University, also known as BYU, in 1993 with a degree in journalism. Had a hard time finding work after that, worked as a grave digger amongst other odd jobs. And in 2004, he founded the Spring Creek Book Company, which he used to self-publish his in times fiction and other religious books. Now, Chad and Tammy had five children together, Garth, Emma, Seth, Leah, and Mark. And in 2015... Chad claimed to hear a voice telling him to relocate to Rexburg, Idaho, and he and Tammy would move there in June of that same year. This would be in his theory, the new Jerusalem after the apocalyptic July 20th, 2020 ordeal. To show you kind of the boldness of Chad, even here in the early days, you know, I, we have mentioned and alluded to, he developed this system of raiding dark and light spirits. And, you know, it might be a, a 3.1 D, meaning they're a level 3.1 dark spirit. You know, he started. I was going to make a 3.1 D joke, but it seems inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's he starts talking about this, and again, he's on podcasts, he's writing books, he's going to these uh, conventions, retreats. He's very open about all of this, and you know, some some have asked, well, when someone does get afflicted by the dark spirit, is there an exorcism? What is the process? How do we cleanse it? And he goes, well. You have to kill the host body. Well, I mean, right there, he's like, well, we got to kill the person. I mean, essentially, that's that's what he's saying. But, okay, bear with me here. You're, you're more of a religious guy than I am. But aren't we supposed to be redeemable if we 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's supposed to be a way to to redeem yourself. Yeah, yeah. Now he he goes on to share that there will be twenty thousand zombies is the words that he used. Now later on in text messages they shorten that to twenty thousand Z's, which you know it's a little bit more cryptic, so it, it well, doesn't call out zombies. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he shares that 20,000 zombies would have to be slain that had these dark spirit entities amongst them. And only by cleansing these humans possessed, which meant killing the human host, would set them free. Now, who, you might ask, knew who and where these 20,000 zombies was? Why, Chad Daybell. Oh, yeah, Chad's going to be the only guy, right? He's the only guy. I mean, he said it himself in his near-death experience, you know, that God sent him back, allowed him to peer through the veils. You know, whatever mask these humans and people were wearing, he could he could see the true nature that lied underneath. You know, hearing more and more of these claims that Chad Daybell had, and with concerns for a friend, Lori, Melanie Gibb reaches out to Lori once again on the phone and asks, you know, hey, how you doing? Uh, we've ended the podcast, you know, some time has elapsed. And Lori tells Melanie that Charles Vallow, her fourth husband, was essentially already dead. A demon had taken refuge in his body, and the demons all have names, by the way. They identify. Charles's demon was a Ned Snyder. Now, later she refers to that possibly as a Nick Snyder. You know, Lori has told others both names. Now, Lori says, tells Melanie, I am the priestess, and Chad is the priest, and together we're waiting for the demon to die. Well, I mean, by all accounts, that doesn't take long. That doesn't take long. Now, I will go back to Colby her son. He does play a constant part of this. And honestly, he's kind of on the right side. He's kind of on the left side. But during this time frame, you know, Kobe's adult age where he's going to college and everything. And he remet a high school friend an, an emo goth girl, self-proclaimed uh, by the name of Kelsey Ryan, uh, whom he would later marry. Now, Lori was not a fan of Kobe's fiance as she took Kobe away from the LDS religion and he converted to a Christian-type religion and started attending a Christian church. And it seemed like a competition between Lori and Kelsey for Colby's interest. Kelsey, the mom to Colby, later shared that at their wedding, Lori came up and whispered something in her ear and says, Honey, God loves you, but God loves me a lot more. <laughs> and oh, I mean, you're crazy. just like, whoa. Now, another thing, Colby, the son, was asking is, is, where's my little sister, Tylee? I mean, I invited her here to be at the wedding. I, you know, she acted like she wanted to come. And Lori's quick to say, oh, she went like on a ski trip. She really is not interested at all in any of this. And, of course, Colby's already starting to see this that, oh, so I'm marrying this gal that you don't approve of who's converting me. And now you're going to start separating my my siblings from me, but doesn't really confront her. You know, it's his wedding and you know, he's just trying to move on with his life. But that also the story is starting to go on. They've got all these little pieces of yarn that are unfra uh, unrailing. So after Charles files for divorce in February, 2019 in Jul on July 11th, 2019, Charles is shot and killed in Chandler, Arizona by none other than Alex Cox, Lori's brother. Yep. Now Cox in this, in this story, he claims self-defense, but that he had, attempted to confront Charles about abusing his sister, which is why I asked earlier, does he legitimately believe or is he just a pawn, you know? I think yes and yes. <laughs> but uh, apparently he confronted Charles about abusing his sister 
and then says Charles struck him in the head with a baseball bat. So he went and got his gun and took care of things. Now, for whatever reason, police did not pursue this case any further. No. Which I would think, even under the circumstances, you would still have to investigate Alex, but I guess they didn't. Well, what's weird here is Alex was not known to stay at Lori's house. He traveled here and just so happened to be here that night. So I I guess both JJ and Tylee had witnessed this incident. There are several stories that actually go around this, and Lori tells three different ones. Things get sketchy here at best. We know Charles shows up at Lori's new house. She's only lived there weeks, maybe a month. And we know that Lori's brother, Alex Cox, as Bill said, for some reason, has decided to spend the night here at the house, sleeping on a mattress in the spare bedroom. Now, according to Lori, Charles has the ability to get J.J., on certain weekends, certain days, you know, they've already worked out some of these details. So he is scheduled to come pick up JJ and take him to school that morning. Yeah. So again, why is Alex here that exact time frame? He might kind of <laughs> read into something there, but he, he comes in and according to Lori's first story, Charles comes to the front door and they talk for a little while. Uh, I don't think he even realizes Alex is in the house at this point. JJ, he takes out to the car. And then he says he forgot his cell phone, so he goes back to get his cell phone, in which Lori says, I found incriminating information on his phone. So I ran into the house, and of course, Charles is like, give me my cell phone, you crazy, you know, whatever. At this point in time, Tylee comes out of her bedroom with the ball bat, and she just hears mom and dad fighting, and she's like, hey guys, stop, you know, we've had enough of this. And then all of a sudden... Alex appears mysteriously from nowhere. And the story is Charles gets the ball bat from Tylee, the young daughter, and Alex tries to now get in between them, thinking that Charles is going to attack Lori. And this all gets out of hand. Basically, Charles swings and hits Alex in the back of the head, the back of the skull. And then Alex just turns, goes back down to his bedroom and gets a gun. And he has a conceal and carry. (laughs) So he gets this pistol and he comes back. And then things kind of get a little sketchy, but in self-defense ends up shooting Charles. Now, it is said, Lori says, she tells Tylee at this point, get out with your brother in the car. And so Tylee leaves the house. Okay, so they, they witnessed part of it. They witnessed part of it. But I don't think they saw anything. Yeah. They may have heard gunshots. But we do know that he was shot in the chest, point blank range, like at least twice. I heard as many as four times, but at least twice. But see, okay. Now, concealed carry, mm-hmm. concealed carry classes, mm-hmm. you are only allowed to use the amount of force necessary to stop your attacker. You shoot somebody in the chest four times, point blank, that's is excessive. I, I think two would be excessive if you shot yeah. somebody in the chest at, at so, close to again, point blank range in the living why room. Why didn't the police go any further with this? I, yeah, this, this even gets crazier. So during this time frame, we're not sure if Lori was in the house when the shots rang out, we believe she is. But regardless, obviously Charles is not going to be taking JJ to school. Yeah. So she goes out and she says, well, come on, hon, I'm going to take you to Burger King. They drive through Burger King, get him breakfast, take JJ to school. And she stops to buy Tylee, the daughter and her, a new set of flip-flops, do a little bit of shopping, take their time and come back home where they find the police and Alex, the brother setting out on the curb and, and all of this. See, even that. That is suspect behavior. If you're at a crime scene, you don't leave. Yes. Now, there is a 911 call that is made by Alex, 
we find out that that was 41 minutes after the shooting. Doesn't seem so urgent to call 911 now. Well, I mean, if the guy's dead, right? I mean, there's no Just hurry. wait 41 minutes, maybe make a <laughs> cup of coffee or something. I don't know. But uh, anyhow, he does call Lori before he calls 911. And that information has not been released yet because, of course, it's still in court. A lot of the information is still being held. But it's yeah, I mean, like this is still ongoing. Hey, so. this probably just happened. What should you do? Well, you need to call 911. You know, it's kind of speculated. So the police arrive. Alex comes out with his hands above his head. Gun is left in the bedroom. And he tells them on the 911 call, I have shot my brother-in-law in self-defense. I'm at my sister's house, such and such address. Would you please send police forces? The 911 dispatcher and I heard the actual recording of it is like, okay, have you tried CPR? Alex's response is like, no. And she goes, okay, can we? I, I don't know how. Okay, I can take you through it step by step. Okay. Well, then we <laughs> find out he does not even try CPR. But again, 41 minutes after he shot the guy at least twice in the chest, yeah, CPR is probably not going to work. And some might say, let's wait a little while and just make sure that he's totally dead before we get the cops here. Nudge him, make sure he doesn't move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now Lori drives in, smiling, all happy. Hey, officers, what's going on? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad this is a new house and the neighbors don't know me because this looks bad. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And she's just like, nothing's happened. The officers say she never once asks about, is my ex-husband alive? Was he yeah, injured? Nothing. I mean, let's be honest. She already knew the answer. Yes. That's what the phone call was for. Yes. So. Again, I said this starts to get a little bit sketchy. Now, this is Lori. This is typical Lori. She makes a phone call to JJ's school and says, hey, we're going we're gonna to be picking up JJ. And obviously, he's not going to be at school for the next few days because he's committed suicide. Shot a couple times in the chest. Alec shot. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's that. And then she sends a text to Charles's biological two sons, Nicholas and, and Zachary. Yeah. And says in a text message, doesn't even call him, hey, your dad's dead. And then doesn't respond for, it sounds like 45 minutes to an hour. And of course, the boys immediately try to call her. She didn't answer. They're like, what? You know, my explanation points. Tell me what's going on. What happened to him? You know, all this. Finally, she does respond and she goes, well, we're, we're waiting for the medical exam to come back so we'll know the cause of death. Your sh brother shot him in your house, lady. Well, then, third story, this is all within a period of like 12 hours, she calls her son Colby. And again, as I said, Colby really considered Charles his real father. I mean, they were, they were very close. And uh, says, hey, Colby, you know, I've got horrible news. Charles just had a heart attack and died. <laughs> I mean, this is Lori telling you all these different stories. And you've got to wonder the sanity. You don't think people are going to talk and your story you're blowing out stories left and right yeah it, this is this is just crazy now colby informs kelsey his wife gets the phone call the only story he knows and charles has had a heart attack and he jumps in the car races down to the house of course he goes up uh Lori's not at the house but he does find uh his uncle alex on the couch and he's got his head wrapped up and there was proof that there was an injury a, a small laceration but immediately, Tylee runs out of the bedroom and he says, embraces me, just wraps her arms around my waist and starts crying and says, Alex shot Charles. And Colby's like, no, he had a heart attack. 
Tylee's like, no, he shot him. And I mean, and Colby's just like, what the is yeah. going on? Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, a few days later, after Charles's death on July 15th, 2019, Lori makes the call to uh, his life insurance agency. Imagine that. Asking about the information on his $1 million settlement. Well, she learns that a few months prior, Charles changed Lori from the beneficiary, leaving her nothing. Ooh. Maybe that's because this crazy gal came and cleared out his bank account and stole his truck. Well, if you're going to file for divorce, you need to change all that, right? Now, we do have Lori's phone records showing she texts Chad Daybell right at the same time and informing him that they will not be receiving the money presumed proceeds needed to build the new Jerusalem. Yeah. Pretty much at this point, it's assumed that they've been together for a little while. Yeah, there's an affair definitely going on. You know, Chad responds to Comforter and says, oh, I love you. And that demon Ned must have gotten, gotten to him sooner than we <laughs> thought. And that's why he changed it. His last reply to Lori is, there will be another way soon, my dear. And it'll be okay. Remember, you're loved, my angel. Lori and Chad would move to Idaho together in september of 2019 and september 2019 is kind of a turning point for this story unfortunately when jj and tiley have kind of disappear in this time frame and disappears family a great way to put it yeah. family stop hearing from them now tiley was last seen at yellowstone national park on september 8th and jj had last been seen at rexburg's kennedy elementary school on September 24th, 2019, Lori contacted the school to say that they would start homeschooling JJ and he would no longer be attending. He was the one that was initially reported by relatives because they had not heard from him or really either of the children in weeks at this point. Uh, but not only that, but it was also in response to some other suspicious things that had happened, which, I mean, everything going on in this story is suspicious. Mm-hmm. But police start to get involved at this point in time. Now, that's due to, uh, you said, the, the grandparents. That's uh, yeah, Larry and Kay Woodcock, just yes. so we have a name to, because they come back in the story as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they come up again. Colby and Kelsey, uh, the son and his wife, uh, begin to start to unravel Lori's madness after, you know, he's, he's now putting together, Lori's told multiple stories about Charles's death. And it's actually Kelsey who privately starts to, you know, think, hey, you know, before Charles was killed, or before even he was locked out of his house, you remember when he sent all those emails and everything to all of us and the family, and he was saying, you know, your mom's lost her mind, and I'm going to go back and look through some of that. And so she starts kind of unraveling this, and then based on what she finds, she shares that with her husband, Colby. Of course, that's Lori's son. And um, the last text that Colby has sent Tylee was actually September 24th, 2019, and that was on Tylee's birthday. Now, Colby and Kelsey had kind of pulled away from all this after the mom and everybody moved because Kelsey was expecting, and she was a high-risk pregnancy, and they have a daughter named Riley. Colby regrets shifting his attention, which I think he did the right thing for his well, if she's a high risk, family, you definitely right don't want to drag her into all that stuff. But uh, not that they had not had any contact with her to that point with the with the uh, the sister. But he feels guilty now because he tells Tylee on her birthday, "Happy birthday! Hope everything is is going well. Hope you guys are settling in." And he does get a reply. Punctuation is off. Wording is off. You know, they text each other all the time, and he goes, "It's almost like this isn't Tylee." Yeah. And so he calls his mom and says, is Tylee okay? She's not acting right. It's not sounding right. 
And of course, Lori being Lori, oh, hon, it's okay. Everything's fine. She's just busy. You know, she's, she's a teenager and she's in a new school and she's much like you just moved on with life. Again, trying to get that separation in there. Well, they dive into these emails and stuff where Charles was now, if you look back on it, it's, it's very sad was reaching out to anyone that would listen. He sent mass emails to every family member he could think of with attachments, pictures of text messages. He even calls Tammy Daybell and tells her, here's proof that your husband and my wife are having an affair. Uh, he's reaching out to anybody in the family saying, Lori's, I need to have wellness checks done on her. She, she has lost her mind. I'm fearful for my life, for, for Tylee. The wife of Colby finds an email from Chad Daybell that is sent to Lori that Charles has found. In it is over a hundred names of closest friends and family members, each one raided with this dark entity spirit, light spirit. And as I said, Kelsey was not liked by Lori for taking her son. She's rated like a 3.1 dark spirit, you know, and she's like, wow, I knew she didn't like me, but you know, geez. (laughs) Well, she reads on down and there's Tylee's name and she's rated, I want to say like at a four point something dark spirit. And now she's missing. They can't reach contact. They start to put things together. She shares with Colby. People start realizing there's way more going on here than what Lori is telling us. She then goes back, Kelsey does, and remembers the podcasts and begins to listen to them for clues, trying to get an understanding of Lori's mind and the madness. Uh, What she uncovers is startling. She shares with her husband, Colby, as they listen to Lori actually, in her voice, state she is an angelic priestess that is several thousand years old. She states God has called her back to earth as a warrior after the apocalypse and a rebirth that is yet to come. They also then come across the now-deceased Charles Vallow's emails with all the friends and family being raided, and they start to worry about the 20,000 zombies, the people, the deaths that are starting to occur, and Colby is really struggling with keeping on his mom's side or seeing her for what it appears she's becoming. Yeah. So on October 9th, 2019, Chad's wife, Tammy, posts on Facebook that she'd made a report to the police. And that she had been shot at in her driveway by a masked man with what she believed at the time was a defective paintball marker. Yes. Now, you're going to shoot somebody. Defective paintball marker. It seems a little weird, right? That is weird. Yeah. Police did show up. They did get involved. They weren't able to find the perpetrator. Again, defective paintball marker. They don't think much about it. It's not a serious crime, so they're not going to really- More than likely a prank. Pour a lot of effort into it. So, 10 days later, Tammy is found dead in her home, supposedly of natural causes. Supposedly. Chad claimed that she had gone to bed the night before with a terrible cough and apparently had died in her sleep. And a perfectly healthy woman. Perfectly healthy woman. No autopsies performed at the time because, again, they think she's just died of natural causes. I believe she's since been exhumed, which comes up later on. And those results have not been released yet. Like I said, this is still kind of ongoing. During that attack, another weird thing. When she shot with what she thinks is a defective paintball gun, she and runs gonna, into the house screaming. I'm going to say it's some kind of dart gun based on, you know, like she's injected with something. Yes. Yes. That would be my guess. She runs into the house screaming. Obviously, there's this crazy lunatic, you know, shooting at me. Chad Daybell very slowly walks out of a back bedroom and she says, goes out and talks to the paintball dart gun shooter. <laughs> okay, I didn't have that. <laughs> yes. And she's 
they're they're far enough distance away said actually he doesn't go out the front door he goes out through the kitchen goes through a back door comes around and carries on several minutes of a conversation with the guy who just attacked his wife and said something about overhearing a partial conversation that i just don't think we can move forward until the spouses are dead oh my gosh (laughs) there's so much craziness here so a couple weeks later on november 5th 2019 chad and Lori are married only two weeks after Tammy's death in Hawaii. Now, officials start to get interested at this point in time due to the, the, the suddenness of this remarriage. You know, his wife dies under mysterious, well, at, at the time, not so mysterious circumstances, but yeah. still his wife dies. Her Natural husband has died. Causes. You know, and now these two are married and there's they've been involved for a while. Well, and then there was another, not brought up a whole lot, but another member of the family, I want to say it was... Uh, a brother-in-law or something that Alex, the son or the the brother, the brother. To, to Lori wasn't spotted, but his green Jeep Wrangler was spotted and shots were fired at this brother-in-law at his house who was going through a nasty divorce. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing about that or so, reading about that. So you got all of this, you got Tammy's death, you got Charles's yeah. death, this maybe <laughs> attempted murder. Yeah. Yeah. So while they're in Hawaii, they're telling everyone that Tylee had died in 2017 and that Lori had no other children at all. So, you know, already there's something going on. And, well, and she's this disowned Colby, obviously. So they go back to Rexburg on November 26th. And while they're there, police visit Lori's house. Now, this is at the request of JJ's grandmother, Kay Woodcock. They're, mm-hmm. they're still trying to locate JJ at this point. Authorities are involved. They're starting to put the pieces of the story together and saying this isn't all adding up to it's all adding up to something bad. They say that, that J.J. is staying in Arizona with Melanie Gibb, her, you know, her, her best friend. friend since school. Now, when contacted, Melanie says she has not seen J.J. for several months. And when police return to the, the house the next day to talk to Lori, the house is abandoned. Yeah. Now, the neighbors say they saw, like, moving vans and stuff out front, the, the, like, that day. And I believe they had left behind certain items that, like, if you were going to, like, if you had kids, you would take said items. Well, there was, like, a small bike, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, some things like that. Now, a week later, Gibb contacts the police and says Lori and Chad have asked her to lie to them about the whereabouts of JJ. So now she says Chad even called her when the police were questioning and said, hey, the police are going to be calling you asking about JJ. Don't answer. You know, that kind of crap. So now the police attempts to locate JJ, lead them to discover that Tylee is also missing and no one's seen her for quite some time. And with all the suspicious activity surrounding all of this. They're motivated to exhume and autopsy Tammy's body. They're starting to suspect foul play in everything that these two are involved you in. You think? Now, I will say, going back to uh, Kay and Larry Woodcock, to get that address in Rexburg, Idaho, that was due to Kay herself doing a little personal research. And she found an Amazon order for a lady's green malachite ring that was purchased on the deceased Charles Vallow's account. <laughs> And it was that shipping address that she shared with the police that even got them to go to Rexburg, yeah. Idaho. Now, that ring comes up again, so we'll keep that in mind. Like I said, now they're, they're fully investigating this couple, and they know that Lori has rented a storage unit. And so in October of 2019, when everything else is going on, they decide they're going to investigate this unit. There's enough suspicion there that they can search it. And inside, they find items belonging to or associated with Tylee and J.J., Items such as clothing, their bikes, photos that would have been uh, around the kids. And and obviously, with many strange deaths related to the story, it, it becomes very, very complicated. 
uh, Lori's brother dies in 2019, December Alex. of a blood clot. Alex, yeah. Yep. Which apparently is a, a family genetic issue, but of course now it's like, well, was something given to him to maybe enhance that? <laughs> because the night before, his wife, which was a bride arranged by Chad Daybell to possibly reward Alex for being oh. their hitman, they're watching the news and they're talking about exhuming Tammy's Daybell's body. And the wife kind of looks over at her newlywed husband, thinking Alex will tell her the truth, and said, Do you really think they're going to find anything? And I don't think she knows. Yeah. And he says, I'm beginning to figure out, I think I'm going to be their scapegoat. Yeah, I mean, possibly. He's already been used for two murders. And the next day, her teenage son finds him dead. That's a coincidence. And even, I think you may have touched on this, Brandon Boudreaux, the estranged husband of Lori's niece, Melanie, he's shot at in the driveway of yes. his home from a vehicle registered to Charles. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's- Which it's, Alex is driving Charles's vehicle. That, it's I think so it's ridiculous. That, uh, Greek, like, all the stuff Jeep, they're doing. Uh, Green Wrangler. It's like, yeah. Now, when they when the police got there to Idaho and they're asking about, of course, JJ and all of them, ironic part is Alex is found in one apartment with Chad Daybell, and then Lori and another Melanie is found in another apartment complex. But Alex says, you know, to the police, like, do you know where JJ is? Well, yeah, he's spending time with his grandma and grandpa down in Louisiana. And the police is like, yeah, oh, you mean no. Kay and Larry Woodcock? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's strange because they're the ones yeah, that sent us here to try to find, to find them. Yeah. It's like, duh. Well, after close friend Melanie in Arizona. Melanie Gibb. Melanie Gibb. Yes, because there's multiple Melanies yeah. here. It gets a little confusing. She calls, or actually, I think uh, Chad calls her after this whole incident of trying to track down JJ. And she's like, hey, guys, what what is up? What gives? Why would you tell me, Chad, not to answer the call from the police? Yeah. Why would you tell them? JJ's with me when you know he's not. Is JJ okay? You know, and, and Lori and Chad are kind of vo both heard on the phone call, like a speakerphone, and they're like, oh, everything's fine. You know, don't blow it out of proportion. Lori actually says, I needed someone to use, and then she kind of changes her wording. I needed a close friend I could count on. <laughs> someone to use. Yeah, someone to use. Uh, so, because I couldn't obviously tell them where JJ really was. And Melanie's like, what do you mean by that? Is JJ okay? She asks again. And Chad's like, there is so much more going on in this spiritual fight that you don't understand, nor can you comprehend. And, you know, Lori comes back in and says, I just know you've always been my closest friend. And Melanie just cuts her off right there and says, friends don't do this kind of stuff. Yeah. You don't throw the police, lie to the police that I have your son when I don't. They immediately go to what? What's the the thing that they always do? I believe the dark spirits yeah, have, well, the dark have spirits moved gotcha. in. You know, blah blah blah. Crazy. So Lori would finally be arrested in Kauai, Hawaii, on February twentieth, twenty twenty. She was charged with desertion and non-support of dependent children. She was extradited to Idaho on March fifth, twenty twenty, and on March twenty fourth, twenty twenty, NBC News reported on documents showing that Chad and Lori had become convinced that Tylee and JJ were possessed and had become zombies. Here we go again. On June 9th, 2020, police execute a search warrant on Chad's home. And there, unfortunately, they find the remains of Ty Tylee and JJ uh, buried in shallow graves on the property. Charred remains, actually. Yeah. Even. Chad would be arrested that same day on charges of destruction or concealment of evidence. 
On June 10th, the Woodcock and Ryan families were brought in to identify the remains of Tylee and JJ, which I can't imagine what that would be like. Now, I'm, I'm not 100% certain, but this Kay and Larry Woodcock, I believe I saw where they may be the true biological parents of JJ. And because they were yeah. older, they went to Charles and them, and that's how they adopted. So, I mean, not not only is it bad enough for a grandmother and a grandfather, but if that is truly their biological son, that that would be, you know, just terrific. Uh, my understanding is that this still hasn't gone to trial. No. And I think her lawyers are even trying to get it thrown out, saying she has the right to a speedy trial, and clearly we haven't had a speedy trial yet. Yes, that's Which, the latest, I let's think. Let's be honest, the last couple it's weeks. been like a year, so that's not... Well, unheard of. She also waived preliminary courts and uh, tried to claim that she was not, you know, in the right mind to stand trial. So she tried oh, that. Oh, I would argue that she's insane, but um, I don't think, I would think she's competent enough. Well, like, they released this her was saying, all orchestrated. basically those words, she's competent enough to This to was orchestrated forward. and planned. So now it's like she stalled it. You know, that didn't work out. So now it's like, oh, well, now it's taken too long. So you guys must not have a case. Let's drop it. But, you know, back to Colby, when this national story reaches or the national level, when they're spotted in Hawaii, imagine this. Colby and his wife are watching on national TV, you know, how the, her mom or his mom has eluded the police, has escaped, got two missing children. And he hears from the news broadcaster that a manhunt for his mother and her husband, Chad Daybell, nobody in the family even knew that they were married. They kept that a you know a secret. What a way to find out, you know. And then they find out that they were married in Kauai, Hawaii, which is where that was a very fond memory for Colby and Tylee and JJ and Lori and Charles because that's where they went and you know spent their time in Hawaii. So, but that's the way he has to learn well, about all of this. But we have to be perfectly honest. This Colby isn't the greatest character in, in either. He eventually gets arrested on, on two counts of sexual assault in Arizona this year. Or last year, 2022. Well, and he even, there for a period of time, he was on, uh, I think it was Facebook, making videos pleading to his mother, you know, at this point, you know, phone calls aren't working. She's turned her phone off, all this. You know, please come back and all this, where he was even, at one time, a suspect that he was possibly involved with the whole thing. I can understand how people might think he was, but. But he said, I'm just desperately trying to find my siblings. But then while Lori was in jail, she calls her mom and wins over her mom and one of her sisters while she's in jail and convinces them that, you know, you know me, you know how I am with my children. (laughs) And so they have a broadcast team, news broadcast team that come in the home and publicly defend Lori. And then just a month or so later, they find the remains and they're like, oh my gosh, how stupid are we? We fell for Lori's crap again. But. I had mentioned a green malachite ring that Kay had found, and that was how they got the address to track them to Idaho. One of the reporters uh, who just kind of followed this story the entire time, he was very familiar with it, kind of took it on as a personal vendetta. He received this email that had literally 600 plus photos of the Hawaiian wedding on the beach of Lori and Chad. Again, being familiar with the tidbits of the story, he finds several photos of a green malachite ring, a wedding ring worn by Lori. The same ring ordered on the deceased husband, <laughs> Charles Vallow's account, which led the police, as I said, to Rexburg, Idaho, ordered long before the death of Tammy Daybell, 
and apparently used in a wedding only 13 days after Tammy's <laughs> death in Hawaii. But still even more alarming, out of 600-plus photos, not one had a picture of Tylee, the daughter, or JJ. Where were they? And yeah. as you found out, and, and as you said, they uncovered them. And Chad, while the police are there digging up the, the remains, he calls Lori in jail, and he's like, yeah, they're, they're here. They've got a, a search warrant. I mean, that's kind of the way he's talking, and Lori's like, oh? And he's like, yeah, they're, they're searching. And she's like, in the house? No, no, um, out in the field. You hear Lori say, oh. Yeah, I mean, it's, they, they knew that was coming. Well, Chad makes a break for it, surrounded by police, <laughs> jumps in his car, drives across the grass, and takes, of course, very short police. Yeah, he's, he's surrounded, you know, and then, of course, they, they come forward and say that they'd found the, you know, not guilty acting at all. Yeah, so I, I believe they, I don't think he's been charged with the murder of his wife, but again, those results haven't been released, so right. I believe those charges are probably coming. They're probably, I would say, going to be in somehow involved with Charles's death. Charles's death, yeah, because um, they had Alex basically they, as they, the hitman. They've been charged for JJ entirely now. I mean, you got the mysterious, you know, his wife Tammy. No, they they have been charged for Tammy. I'm sorry, they have been charged with Tylee, JJ, and Tammy. They're they're definitely accomplices in Charles's death at the very least. Yeah. So, um, this is again is such a a strange, crazy story, and they're they're nutso religious beliefs and again i mean this this is not representative of mormon beliefs trust no, me no. i got a lot of mormons in my life this is they're not they're not like this well one of the book authors that um chad published under his publishing company came forward and and i'll just say she's a little out there she claims to be a you know a, a psychic and everything which is against a lot of their beliefs yeah. but she says you know he's just batshit crazy she's batshit crazy and, you know, anybody that knows anything about the LDS church to say you are going to start a new Jerusalem and all that, that's God's position. You're putting your, you know, she is telling the interview, Chad is putting himself above God. He's saying his books are, you know. My understanding is it's much like Judgment Day. They still have that same Judgment Day type prophecy. It is not given to man to know the date. Yeah. That, that when it happens, it happens. Now, Mormons do believe that they will be called. When the time is right, my understanding is that New Eden is somewhere in Missouri, so I don't have to go very far. Oh, wow. But I know the, the Missouri does figure in. A lot of Mormons are moving to Missouri, I think, for that now reason. Now that you mention that, I think I have read a couple articles on that. But so Lori was found competent to stand trial, like I said, in April of 2022, contrary to her trying to say that she was incompetent. Currently, prosecutors are seeking the death penalty for both Chad and Lori. Uh, who are were supposed to face trial together in April, and that time has kind of come and, and, and gone of, of 22. I think part of it was that they have such conflicting stories. What was it? They said if you believe one of them, you have to disbelieve the other, and they want to get them both together because obviously they're both a part of this, but their stories are so radically different. They said that in order for a jury to find one of them guilty, they would have to find the other innocent. Ah. So they're trying, I think it's, they're trying to build the case so that that doesn't happen. Well, then again, you've got to consider Lori with, with Charles's death. Heck, it's not even a month by month story change. Within 24 yeah. hours, she had three versions. Yeah, three different stories. Oh, he committed suicide. Oh, he had a heart attack. You know, uh, 
just crazy, crazy stuff. But uh, this one, as Bill said, is is still out there. A lot of the information has not been released to the public. And I got to say, th- I, I certainly hope they get them because I feel they are guilty as sin. My thing is, okay, if you kill an adult, that's that's horrible. That's terrible. But children, like, they haven't had a chance to have a life and they're innocent. They didn't do anything to you. You know, they were... Those children were complications for Chad and Lori. Right. And so they had to be eliminated in in their minds. Those kids didn't do anything to Chad and Lori. Now, if they are if they are so far off the rails that they legit believe these kids had been possessed, honestly, it sounds like the people who have been possessed are people who were complications for them. Yes. Stood so against them. They want to have this life together and and do, you know, bring about the, the end of times or whatever the hell it is they're doing. But seriously, killing kids, I yeah, well, I hope they get them. Well, and they're still, of course, unraveling stuff. This thing is like a, a big stinky onion with so many levels. But some of the newer information that's come forward was uh, JJ, I guess, his remains uh, were found wearing a red pajama, like night, what you would wear to bed at night. And they did find a picture of him wearing that within weeks of what they now speculate to be his death. Well, one of the family members has come forward saying that they saw... JJ being carried into the house wearing the same outfit, seeming to be asleep, and they now feel he was probably deceased yeah. at that time frame. So again, they're still putting together, you know, pieces and tidbits. But one thing I I didn't mention, JJ, you know, the youngest, I think he was seven years old. He was an autistic child. Yeah, he did have needs. I I remember reading that. And he was and I think I remember reading that he was very disruptive to their schedule. Yes. And having a grandson that of my own that is autistic, anytime that you move the surroundings, the the agenda, it, it is any, traumatizing. Any it change is, to their routine. My wife deals with, with special needs kids right. uh, for her job. She she works for the school with, with, with those kinds of kids. So, yeah, like I've learned a lot about that. But, yeah, any kind of change to their settings, their routine. Like they are used to routine. So when something gets disrupted, for example, in my wife's case, you know, if there's, if their teacher is out and they have a substitute teacher, those kids are completely out of sorts yeah, because that's, lost. and, and as much as these people were moving around, I was going to say, the can people you in their lives changing the torment this poor kid's going through. And some speculate that that may have triggered them. You know, he's getting unruly. He's getting one story was he was take off out of the house like screaming and he was one time made it over to a neighbor's and you know that's getting them attention well, they I was don't gonna say want. when you're going off murdering people you don't want people looking into your stuff yeah yeah so a very very tragic, tragic sad story and again time will tell as court dates proceed but like i said it's, it's a long sordid tale and and just horrible horrible story you know it's gonna we're not i don't want to say we're gonna try to follow that up but uh, I think it is time for, for headlines. Yes, it is. My headliner that I decided to uh, to do with this is top scariest religious cult stories. First off on my list is the People's Temple from 1955 to 1978, also known as the Jonestown yeah, Massacre. Yeah, we covered that one in detail. We did on episode 84. Uh, but hundreds of bodies are strewn around the Jonestown commune uh, there in Guana. Uh, more than 900 members of the People's Temples committed suicide in November of 1978 under the uh, guidance of Reverend Jim Jones. 
who urged his disciples to drink cyanide-laced grape punch, not Kool-Aid, by the way, folks. Kool-Aid, again, did not like that publicity. Flavor-Aid. Flavor-Aid. Then we have the Branch Davidians, uh, 1955, Waco, Texas. They actually figure into my headline a little bit, too. Oh, well, 1955 to 1993, cult leader, of course, David Koresh and his followers. What started off as a standoff soon ended up uh, between the the Branch Davidians and the FBI. lasted 51 days, eventually ended with when tanks, military tanks, were brought in on the compound. And the entire compound was filled with tear gas and caught on fire. Burned to the ground. Leaving more than 80 people dead. Then we move to the third, Children of God, the Family International, 1968 to present day. David Moses Berg founded this communist Christian offshoot in California back in 1968. Berg had a very sex-centric perception on how to spread the views of Jesus including reported recruitment through flirty fishing, as he called it. <laughs> I like that phrase. Whoa. It's I don't lot, know what it means. It's but a like lot it. better than the meaning. <laughs> uh, basically using young women to lure in new members by having sex with them. All right. Well, I'm going to have to edit this episode now. Um, I don't like that anymore. Well, it gets worse. And apparently opposing anti-child uh, uh, laws, according oh, to some former no. members having sex with children. That's awful. Uh, which was not only permitted but was considered a divine right within the cult. Ugh. The group changed its name several times, can't imagine why, uh, most recently to the Family International as of 2004. Still exists today, operating in 80 countries, although no longer permitting sex between adults and children. Actors Joaquin Phoenix and Rose McCallan were born into the cult and have since left and spoken out against this group. Well, good for them. Good for them. And lastly, I have the cult group Heaven's Gate, 1972 to 1997. I remember their story. Founded in San Diego, 1972, by a Marshall Applewhite and a Bonnie Nettles. Uh, they were based on the premise that aliens would escort members of the group to the kingdom of heaven via extraterrestrial spacecraft. They, they were hidden behind the Hale-Bopp comet, I believe the, yes, space, the ship was. Everything was associated with that comet. They're Best known for the unfortunate tragic events two decades later in March of 97, the group carefully planned and executed a mass suicide, uh, timed, as Bill said, with the arrival of the Haley Comet. They clad themselves in black tunics and Nike shoes, and 39 Heaven's Gate members ate applesauce mixed uh, with a sedative and vodka, covered their heads in plastic bags, and died. Uh, nine of the 18 being men, including Applewhite himself, the leader. They had also, all the men had been surgically castrated as the group uh, mandated celibacy. An upbeat videotape message made by the members prior to the suicide indicated what they were doing and that they were happy to die for the next level. This crazy cult when stuff. You, when you take religion and you twist it, and again, it's, okay, we talked about weather manipulation in, in another episode. Something starts off good and... Then it, yeah, you wow. you take these beliefs and you just oh man yeah the things you can do to a person's mind. Mm. My headline. Hopefully, is, it's uh, lighter than mine. No, not really. Oh, my headline is from ABC News, February fifteenth, twenty twenty three. Queensland police say Wimbilla shooting was a religiously motivated terrorist attack, and I probably have that town name wrong because it's an Australian name. So, <laughs> three people: Nathaniel Gareth and Stacy Train. Shot and killed two Queensland police officers, Rachel McCrow and Matthew Arnold, and a neighbor, Alan Dare, on their property in December. Authorities are calling it a religiously motivated terrorist attack. 
Now, they don't believe the attack was random. It was directed at the police. There were signs of advanced preparation and planning, including camouflaged hiding places on the property. I remember this. Barriers put up, closed-circuit television, radios, mirrors on trees, and even a trap door built under the house so they could escape. Yeah, this wasn't a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing. Four officers went onto the property to follow up on an outstanding warrant related to firearms and a border breach by Nathaniel Train. Now, when COVID happened, Australia went hardcore. And you were not allowed to travel out of your state, I think it is. I don't know what they call them, but state, province or whatever. province, yeah, whatever. You weren't allowed to travel out of your province without approval, you know, because the government, Australia was very, very, you know, heavy-handed with their, their COVID response. So they wanted to make sure they maintained everybody in a certain place. They, they kept up on this. And apparently he had crossed one of these borders. But as well as a missing persons report, which was filed by Nathaniel's wife, who reported him missing, said after crossing a border during the COVID restrictions, like I was referencing, apparently he had went to the property, which was owned by Gareth and Stacy, who were family. The family subscribed to what authorities call a broad Christian fundamentalist belief system, also known as premillennialism, sort of an end of days prophecy that everything is getting ready to just okay. go to go to hell. Uh, but they see in their viewpoint police as monsters and demons enforcing, you know, man's will upon the divine. Uh, recent events such as the COVID lockdown and things like that had driven them to become more insular. They had spent time together kind of with no one else around them. And uh, they became more focused on this extreme Christian ideology. Um, they had started prepping for the end of days. And while no one event seems to be a catalyst for this change, uh, Nathaniel's heart attack in 2021 did make him more religious. And then Nathaniel and Stacy also lost their jobs in the education field. They believe Nathaniel was a principal and Stacy a teacher uh, because they refused to get the COVID vaccine for religious reasons. So, again, Australia's response was very, very heavy handed in that respect. Now, Australian authorities have brought in the FBI because they see this as the same kind of Christian extremists that you have seen in places like Waco. They've like never had, about. they apparently have never had anything like this in Australia before. So this is kind of new to them. Wow. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, when, when you, when you turn religion bad, it, it can be bad. Well, enjoyed is not the proper term, but we hope what we have given you some things to think about on tonight's podcast an yeah. episode of nightmares on the lost highway. Folks, it doesn't get much more nightmarish than to take the things that are cherished and loved and to find them turned against us. Be careful out there. Thanks for listening. In 1992, at the age of only 19, she married her high school sweetheart. This would be her first husband, a man by the name of Nelson Gaines. However, the honeymoon would not last long. I have Yanes with a Y. That may be a typo. Let's check that I was going to say, we can look it up. <laughs> that would be a, a bad thing. Well, uh, get our names right. Yeah, as much as we can pronounce them. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least these are good old American names for the most part. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. <clears throat> Lori Vallow's husbands. Okay. We were all of Lori. Wow, okay, okay, okay. want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in, kind of our makeshift studio. 
I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.